0: Hey everyone, this is Matt Parra, Sabbath School Director for the North New South Wales Conference. I'm super happy to spend some time with you today uh, talking about this week's Sabbath School lesson, which is on Daniel chapter 2 and entitled From Mystery to Revelation. We are going to comment on Sunday through Thursday's lesson. I think you'll be blessed. Uh, Let's say a short prayer and we'll jump right into it. God in heaven, please help us to understand better your word and be more inspired to teach it and, uh, and to live it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sunday's lesson is entitled, The Imminence of God. And there's a lot of good points brought out in the Sabbath School quarterly lesson. And uh, this is the the text of reference in Sunday's lesson is Daniel chapter 2, verses one through 16, And what we have happening in Daniel chapter two, verses one through 16, is there's a great dilemma that Daniel and his friends find himself in. The King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is having dreams and his, his he's so troubled by the dreams that he's having or the dream that he's having, that he can't sleep. And the Bible says, as a consequence, he calls in the wise men of Babylon, the, uh, the, uh, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the soothsayers, and the Chaldeans. And, and he asks them if they could please interpret the dream for him and their response to him is that if they if they would just be able to hear from him what the dream was they will provide for him an interpretation now Daniel and his Hebrew captive friends Shadrach Meshach and Abednego are considered a part of the wise the community of wise men because as captives, as, as we learned in Daniel chapter one, they were brought into the company of the wise men because it was customary for the Babylonians to choose certain individuals from the nations that they conquered, to educate, to develop, so as to serve the king of Babylon and the purpose of Babylon. The Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the soothsayers, the magicians, the astrologers, these were all people who served a certain purpose in the Babylonian nation they were to have special connection to the supernatural so that they could work with the leaders of the nation to understand what the gods were saying to people so they 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 really put a lot of credit in dreams and visions and these kinds of things when a king like Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream that's very troublesome to the point that he can't sleep it just makes sense that he's going to call the people who are sanctioned by the nation the specialists to to come and to help him understand what in the world this troubling dream is supposed to mean and so we see in the narrative of Daniel chapter 2 that the wise men are they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar's request to reveal to him the interpretation of the dream just King, let us know what the dream was, and we will then provide for you an interpretation. And King Nebuchadnezzar's response is a pretty stern response. He just says to them, you guys uh, are not going to get the dream from me because I don't remember it. And since I don't remember the dream, you need to tell me not just what the interpretation of the dream is, but the dream itself. And their response to him is, look, King, just tell us the dream because... We can't give you an interpretation without the dream. Like, how can we interpret something, uh, a dream that you don't tell us? So, yeah, that's the impasse. And and Nebuchadnezzar's second response to them after saying this again is, is very, very strong. He says, you guys are just trying to buy time. And you're going you're gonna to speak to me corrupt and lying words. You're going to get, you just want to, to, to tell me what I want to hear after I give you the, a dream or tell you what a dream is. In essence, he's indicting these men as dishonest and corrupt and saying to them, you should be able to do what I'm asking you to do. That's what you're hired to do. That's what you're employed to do. That's what you're sanctioned to do by our nation. So just do it. And if you can't do this, then I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your families. And I'm going to make your homes a pile of garbage. Their response at this point in verse 10 is, this is unusual. No king has ever asked anything like this from any wise man or astrologer or soothsayer or Chaldean. And so then he just enraged says, kill them. He, he, he makes a decree, exterminate them. And the, and the word they're used in the original language uh, is, is basically indicating that the killing began immediately. This may seem rash, and intense and crazy to us but really it was just expected that these men could do what uh, other people couldn't do they had access to the supernatural in ways that other people didn't and so they've they've in essence shown themselves to be incapable of their calling incapable of doing what it was that they were supposed to be able to do and they even confessed that the only persons who could ever do what the king was asking them to do would be an individual or a group of individuals who dwell with the gods who don't dwell with flesh or he they just say that, that, that the only people who could do this are the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh well if the gods don't dwell with flesh then why are you guys in high and important and dignified positions of importance if you can't communicate with the gods. That's what you're supposed to do through different ways and means. And so the, the death decree goes forward. Daniel and his friends are wrapped up in the death decree. And this is a bad scenario here, you know, because God's witnesses in Babylon are going to be exterminated along with the wise men. And I'm sure Satan had his, his fingers in all of that. He wants to rid the, the kingdom, the nation of Daniel and his friends. And I'm sure he he instigated in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar these intense feelings of hatred and anger in order to make him act so rashly and to make this kind of decree to get rid of all the wise men he never stopped to consider the possibility that maybe all of the wise men weren't deserving of death like these particular individuals who were answering him in regards to the dream and so Arioch the captain of the king's guard uh, gets comes to to the point of of interacting with Daniel. And Daniel goes then to the king when he discovers that the death decree has been made and he asks the king for more time. Now, this is interesting. The lesson brings us out that King Nebuchadnezzar, he said to the wise men who could not interpret his dreams, you guys are trying to buy time by asking me to tell you the dream that I had. And I think you're just stalling. And I think that you're just corrupt people. And because of that, I'm not going to give you any more time. But when Daniel goes before King Nebuchadnezzar to seek for more time, The king gives him more time, which shows that he could tell the difference between the character of Daniel and the character of his wise men. They were schemers. They were snakes. They were all about self-preservation and position and power and control. They were not sincere and dignified and noble and loyal like Daniel was. And so when Daniel approaches the king, the king gives him what he won't give to any of the other wise men, and that's time. That's time. And I think that's a beautiful lesson for us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, no matter what circumstance or situation we are in, if we show ourselves dignified and noble and lovely and loyal and kind and generous, well then we'll get opportunities that other people don't get. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends were seen to be 10 times uh, more astute, more knowledgeable. And more wise than the rest of the wise men, and this is now paying off. And so, faithfulness to God in the small things, as we learned in Daniel chapter one last week, it bleeds over into certain benefits where distinctions are made uh, in the king's perspective between these unloyal, self serving, position oriented wise men who are really just fraudulent schemers, and Daniel, a dignified and noble spiritual man who is uh, standing head and shoulders above everybody else, even though he's a castrated captive. And I think this is a beautiful lesson for us. Um, Daniel and his friends, as we get into the next day's lesson, which is entitled um, The Prayer, they they go to the source of all wisdom and knowledge, and that's to God and to pray. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but uh, I want to bring out really what the lesson has brought out. And that is that, uh, and kind of just articulate a little bit more than the lesson does. God according to theologians and Bible students, and just really the Bible, is he, he connects himself with the natural and with the created, but he is not a part of it. And he's an essential being. That is to say, his existence is necessary for the existence of everything else. He's not dependent. He doesn't derive strength or life or energy or being from any other source. He is the, the foundation of all existence. God is preeminent. He has all power. He is the ever-giving source of life for every being, good, evil, high, low, in the universe that exists. God is uh, the imminent one of the universe, and he interacts with us. He communes with us. He involves himself in creation and he speaks through creation, but he's not a part of creation. He's not a part of the material world. He's not subject. He is the great I am and the lesson brings this out. And and it, and he it talks about how in Daniel chapter two we see this all playing out in the fact that a God is through the mind of a mortal man delivering a prophetic message through a dream that's troubling him. And he's he's in a way interacting with us, humanity, falling humanity on our terms. Not really on our terms, I guess I shouldn't say it like that, but uh, in a way that we can understand and comprehend. And how else is he going to communicate with us? Now, the Babylonians, they worshiped idols. King Nebuchadnezzar, we find later in this chapter, he's having a dream that is uh, an image of a great metal image, which is a prophecy Depicted through uh, a statue, which would be an object of worship for a Babylonian king, for a Babylonian. And so you see God speaking the language of the Babylonians to a Babylonian to bring eternal truth to that Babylonian. So you have the, the imminent God of the universe, the essential being that all beings that exist exist as a consequence of coming into the material world, speaking through the material world to the mind of a man who is a king and a pagan and an idolater in in a way that he can understand and in a way that's going to really grab and grasp his attention. And this is an amazing lesson for us. Although we don't want to be worldly and and superficial in our approach to our, our proclamations of the gospel and our witness to the world we should remember and understand that just like God we are to be distinct and separate at, like Peter says in 1st Peter 1 and verse 16 um, be ye holy for I the Lord your God am holy and he's quoting the Old Testament we are to be holy and distinct and gods and um, Separate, but yet we've got to communicate in the world and to the world. And sometimes we're going to communicate in ways that the world can understand, in ways that maybe, like for example, I may not be somebody who uh, goes to the movies all the time, but can understand and recognize how God would through a movie communicate eternal truth to someone and to change their life and their mindset and their perspective and to begin to affect them for eternity through something that is, 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 a, is a part of their life and, and their world, if that makes any sense. So I guess there's going to have to be a balance found in all the things that I'm saying here, a balance between uh, never bringing the gospel into disre- disrepute and functioning in an undignified way, a way that's beneath the dignity of Christ or Christianity never compromising our principles and our values but at the same time being willing for the sake of the lost and the fallen to speak in a way that's going to be meaningful to them and to like god who is simultaneously separate separate yet a part of do, do the same thing and find find a way to reach people through ways that they can understand. My former uh, uh, conference president, he, he used to say, he was actually the evangelism director in this conference, Justin Lawman. He used to say, I believe in two forms of evangelism, everything and anything. And I love that. And obviously that statement comes with the implication that you know you never do anything sinful. You never do anything immoral in the name of Jesus. And you never act like a coward who's just trying to fit into the world in the name of evangelism. You know, like where you say, I'm going to become all things to all men. When really you just want to become like all men because you're a follower of men. Uh, He wasn't saying that. But he was saying that, like the Apostle Paul, we become fools for Christ's sake. And we will communicate through any avenue that we possibly can. We will be, um, you know, innovative and creative. And we'll do whatever it takes to bring people so that by any means we can bring people to a knowledge of of who they really are and who God really is, we move on to Monday's lesson, which is entitled "The Prayer." Now, the the prayer, the specific you know, the, I don't think all of the specifics of the prayer that Daniel and his friends, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah prayed are in the Bible. What the Bible says is that Daniel and his friends seek God so that they would not be destroyed with the rest of the with all of the, with all of the wise men, and that God would reveal the the secret. The mystery to them. And then it says that Daniel did receive uh, communication from God in a night vision. So I don't know if Daniel went to sleep or if they prayed all night or what the specific scenario was. But what I do know is that the kind of prayer Daniel would have prayed that night would not have been a casual or a listless or a passionless prayer because he and his friends' lives depended upon God hearing them and answering them. And for me personally, this is uh, very convicting and it's very confronting because I don't pray as I ought to. The Bible says in James chapter 5 that the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I would say that that that's a description of, say, 5% 5% of my prayers, fervent and effectual, 95% of my prayers are kind of confused and discombobulated and casual or heartless, you know, and I don't persevere in prayer as I should, and I don't press towards the throne of God with with faith, you know, I don't storm the kingdom of heaven with violence as I should. And, um, and so, yeah, I think this is a lesson to us as Sabbath school leaders, as church leaders, that uh, our lives depend upon getting answers from God. And uh, we don't oftentimes act that way. And when we pray, it's not usually the kind of prayer that's going to really move the arm of God because we just pray as if, "Eh, yeah, we could get an answer. We could not get an answer, whatever. You know, now I'm speaking obviously for myself, but I think it applies to all of us. So yeah, listen, Daniel and his friends prayed as if their lives depended upon it because their lives did depend upon it. We should pray as if our lives depend upon it because our lives do depend upon answers from God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Um, he, we need the Spirit. He is our guide. We need God to open our minds, open our understandings, and we should pray as if that is the case. And, um, you know, Daniel gets communication from God where God reveals to him the mystery shares with him what nebuchadnezzar's dream is and gives him the interpretation and that's because daniel prayed for real and so this is a lesson do i want to understand the prophecies do i want to know what god has predicted will be do, do i want to know that if i do perhaps i'm going to have to pray it took serious and intense prayer to deliver to us these great apocalyptic prophecies in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Revelation, by the way, and it also will take a lot of prayer and passion to understand the great prophecies of the Bible. In the book, Thoughts on Daniel and Revelation by Uriah Smith, in commenting on Revelation chapter 5 and the vision of the little scroll that uh, has seven seals and how no one could open the seven seals. And for some reason that brought great sadness to the heart of John the prophet. And so he begins to weep, to to bitterly weep, because it's tragic that no one can open up the seals. And then he sees a lamb as as if it had been slain that opens up, that can open the seals. And so uh, Uriah Smith brings out the point that, you know, it took the death of the son of God to give us a future. And further to that, It took a lot of tears for John the Revelator to bring us forth the apocalypse or the revelation of Jesus Christ and it took Daniel a lot of prayer and he says that the book of Revelation was not written without tears it was not delivered to us without blood the blood of Christ and delivered to us through the tears of Jesus and of his prophets and it's not going to be understood without sacrifice and tears and effort as well and so our lesson is that if we want understanding, let us seek God the way that Daniel sought God when God gave him understanding. I hope that this uh, makes sense to you and that you get the spiritual lesson here in, in, this, uh, in this great prayer of Daniel and his friends. Now, uh, most of us, not all of us, but most of us have have heard uh, the teaching about Daniel chapter two. And right there in, Gen, Dan, in the book of Daniel, we find that uh, Daniel, after getting... The dream from God and its interpretation. He approaches King Nebuchadnezzar and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, Hey, listen, I have not been given this knowledge of this dream because of my righteousness, but because God is amazing and because God wants to tell you what's going to happen at the end of time. God wants to tell you what's going to happen in the latter days of Earth's history. That's in essence what... Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, and then he begins to describe the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a great metal image. It had a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And then you saw a stone that was cut out without hands, and it came and struck the image on the feet and destroyed the whole image. The image became as the chaff of the summer's threshing floor. Uh, and it, it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And uh, that's that's basically, in a nutshell, what Daniel communicates to King Nebuchadnezzar. So your troublesome dream, Nebuchadnezzar, the dream that you had that kept you from sleeping, that has troubled you so deeply, which, uh, you, which compelled you through frustration when the wise men couldn't tell you what dream you were having to proclaim that they should die. um, That great dream was of a great metal image. It was a great metal image. Head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And then a great stone came, destroyed the image after hitting it on the feet, and became a great mountain. And it filled the whole earth. Then Daniel goes on to give an interpretation of the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to him, uh, King, uh, you are this head of gold. I want to let you know that you are the head of gold. And this gets into uh, Tuesday's lesson, which is entitled The Image, Part 1. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to just comment on uh, the image, uh, which is dealt with in Tuesday and Wednesday's lesson. And I'm going to deal with the image not even having consulted the Sabbath school lesson yet. I'm going to read the lesson and study those two days, but I want to just comment on uh, the image and the interpretation of the image uh, just a bit. Um, I've been preaching on this for 20 years and doing evangelism and sharing it with people as a Bible worker and just as a soul-winning Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Um, And I I just wanna do this just for fun and then study the lesson and see what comes up. I just wanna make a few points. I'm not gonna be comprehensive uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just going to go with you guys through the interpretation and make a few points that will be very valuable for you to communicate to your Sabbath school classes and just to understand for yourselves. It's a great apologetic, a great argument for faith in the Bible and in defense of, of biblical faith. Okay, so Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold represents you and your kingdom. But after you and your kingdom will arise another nation or kingdom which will be inferior to yours. And so we discover at the beginning of Daniel's communication to Nebuchadnezzar as to what the dream means that those metals in the metal image represent nations or kingdoms of which the first is the neo-Babylonian empire of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, okay? But after you, your your kingdom's going to fall. It's not going to last forever. An, another kingdom will arise and usurp your authority, your throne, and your power. Yet that nation will be inferior to yours. Now, this is powerful. Daniel is being very bold here, very brave, and he's being very honest and transparent. Because, I mean, just think about it. To stand in the face of a Near Eastern king who has the power to At his own just whim, say you're dead, and you could be dead. uh, To say to that that king, hey, listen, your your head, your your kingdom represents the head of gold, but you're going to be uh, replaced by an inferior kingdom. I mean, this is a big deal. A lot of people who associate with individuals who are in power just tell people who are in power what those people want to hear. But Daniel isn't like that. Daniel is in God's hands. Daniel is only worried about God's judgment. And so Daniel tells the king the truth. Now, I know pastors and church leaders who would not do what Daniel would do. Now, you say, what in the world? That's anathema. Don't indict the ministry or ministers. No, no, no. I'm just going to be very transparent with you. And I hope that some pastors and church leaders are listening. I know people, church leaders, local church leaders, good Christian people. Well, what they've done in good Christian people who... Uh, would stand in front of a conference president or a union president or a person in power and just tell them what they wanted to hear. And then when that person wasn't in power, say a whole different story. You know what I mean? It's very easy to tell people what they want to hear so that you could advantage yourself, right? And so you sell principle for personal gain in the interest of yourself. And so Daniel isn't like that. And he's an example for us. And we should take note of that. You're going to be replaced by another kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar and it's going to be inferior to yours. And then there will be a third kingdom of bronze and then a fourth kingdom of iron, which is like iron breaks in pieces and bruises all these things. That kingdom is going to just be just super uber powerful. And then, then there's going to, the, the, then, then the feet with clay and iron represent a division of that kingdom. Okay. So here's what's happening. Daniel is in Nebuchadnezzar's day, six, six, seventh century bc or late seventh century bc and he is saying to the king your nation is going to be succeeded by another nation and then a third and then a fourth and the fourth is going to divide and then he describes in the divisions of the fourth uh empire conditions of the world at that time okay so uh Starting from the Kingdom of Neo-Babylon, the lesson points out, history points out, that Babylon was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persians were conquered by the Macedonian Greek Empire of Alexander the Great, and the Macedonian Empire of Alexander, the Greek Empire, the Greece Greek Empire was conquered by Rome, Rome in 476 AD was not conquered by an external force, but it it fragmented from within and became uh, the nations that we know now as Western Europe. Okay, that's the prophecy. And so looking forward into the future, God makes all those predictions through King Nebuchadnezzar and through Daniel all the way down to the end of time when God would set up a kingdom represented by that great stone. And in verse 44 in Daniel chapter 2, it says that that great stone was a representation of God's kingdom. Um, that would fill the whole earth, that would last forever, unlike those other kingdoms created by men. So what men create, it only lasts for a while because men are corrupt. But what God creates, it lasts forever because God's not corrupt. So men's kingdoms, they're cruel, they're terrible, they're nasty, they're flawed, and they fall apart. God's kingdom, it's perfect, it's awesome, it's wonderful, it's just, it's true, it's righteous, and it lasts forever. And so we're now oppressed with terrible earthly uh, forms of government uh, concocted by men. And the best of us can only create subpar institutions that will always crumble because they're fraught with human imperfection. Because they're an extension of us sinful people. But God, he's good, he's awesome, he's brilliant, he's wonderful. Though we now have to suffer under the rulers of this world, the day will come when we are ruled by God and God alone And that's a message of hope and of encouragement. And God's kingdom will smash down all of these earthly kingdoms. And the Bible says, in the days of these kings, in verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so when the Bible says in the days of these kings, what it means is in the days when after Rome has divided into the Western European nations, it's in that time frame, that's the general time frame when God will take over when his rule uh, will come to planet Earth, when the prayer of Jesus will be fulfilled. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray that prayer now and become an embodiment of the kingdom of heaven here as ambassadors and representatives of the kingdom of God in heaven. But it's at that time when that prayer will be fully realized and fully actualized when God himself will set up a kingdom. Now, I want to tell you something. God views us as future citizens in that kingdom. He sees us not as we are fallen, depraved, and sick. He sees us as we can be in His eternal kingdom, ruling the earth and representing the goodness and loveliness of God to the rest of the universe. I want to um, just point out before we close uh, this week's lesson, I I want to just just point out the fact that um, we find such great uh, evidence in Daniel chapter two for the veracity of the word of God, for the truthfulness of the word of God. How many, how many evidences are given here in Daniel chapter two to demonstrate that the God of the Hebrew Bible, the God of the Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scriptures, knows the end from the beginning, and that there's no other God besides Him, and that His word is true. Think about this. So, Daniel sitting in. Nebuchadnezzar's presence and he says another kingdom's coming. Okay, that's one prediction. Now that's an easy prediction to make, but he says, okay, that's one, that's but it is still one prediction. Your kingdom's not going to last forever, okay? It's going to be replaced by a second. And there's a second prediction that says that second kingdom of of silver is going to be replaced by a third kingdom of bronze, represented by bronze. Okay, that's a second prediction. Now there's a third prediction that that kingdom of bronze is going to be replaced by a kingdom of iron, the iron monarchy of Rome. Okay, that's three predictions. And then there's a fourth prediction, and now this is where it starts to get pretty intense and pretty amazing uh, or, or really impressive. That that fourth empire represented by the fourth medal on the great image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that kingdom is not going to be taken over. It's not going to be conquered as the previous three have been or will be. Uh, that empire is going to divide. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the fourth prediction fifth prediction are is is the prediction that as iron and clay don't mix uh the feet that the iron and uh, the, the nations that come out of rome they will not mix either or they will never reunite into another empire that's a massive prediction as well that is a prediction going forward in time you know over a thousand years and then it says the sixth prediction is that uh they will mingle themselves with the seed of men but they will not cleave one to another or in other words, extraordinary efforts will be made to reunite uh, the kingdoms of Europe, but that's just not going to happen. Now think about this. Every single one of those predictions comes true. It's it's predicted perfectly, accurately. Now, how in the world can you do that if you don't have access to God, if if God's not speaking to you, if God doesn't know the end from the beginning? You couldn't. It's impossible. The odds of that are astronomical. It's mathematically impossible that Daniel and could, have, could have made those predictions in the book of Daniel without having divine knowledge, divine understanding given to him by the creator God of the universe. Now, here's the thought that I want to leave you with. And that is, if Daniel's prophecy of Daniel chapter 2 predicts those six predictions perfectly accurately, what about the seventh prediction? Which was that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed that will never be taken over by other people. What about that? Well, if I told you that seven things were gonna to happen to you tomorrow, and I predicted them today, and I said, okay, you're gonna wake up at 6.20 because your alarm's not gonna go off, and you're gonna wake up 20 minutes late, and then I just went on to predict seven things, and throughout the course of tomorrow, all of the things I predicted came true. You know, six of the seven things I predicted came true. What would you bet at that point in time, once the sixth prediction came true, that the seventh was gonna come true as well? You'd bet all you'd bet your house on it you'd bet your house that the seventh thing I predicted was going to come true because the first six things I predicted all came true so God made seven predictions in Daniel chapter 2 about the future now six of the seven have come true with perfect accuracy and this is not you, you couldn't you couldn't in any way shape or form fake this and um, the, the last prediction is that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom in the days of these kings what would you guess or what would you venture to guess uh, is going to happen. Do you think? Do you think that the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed? Absolutely. You can believe that as sure as you can believe anything. As sure as you can believe anything. Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar as he began to explain to King Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he'd been having in verse 28 of Daniel chapter 2 that the God of heaven wants to tell you what's going to happen at the end of time. Now, if the God of heaven is communicating this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar because his interest is telling us what's going to happen at the end of time, that is, he's going to set up an eternal kingdom that will never be conquered or destroyed, that will be founded upon his goodness and his grace, uh, why does he recount for us or predict for us all the historical events leading up to that final climactic event? Well, it's because when we get to the verge of that end time event, he wants us to believe that it's going to actually happen. We can rest assured God's going to set up his eternal kingdom and it's going to replace all this garbage that we uh, we build on this earth. These kingdoms that are founded upon human ideals and human understandings. And so we can take that to the bank and we can believe that with, with all confidence. God predicted the end from the beginning in Daniel chapter 2 and brings us to the point of of reasonable faith that God is going to set up a kingdom and we are living in a time when that is about to happen. God bless you all. God bless you. Have a great Sabbath. Bye.